Our reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 35 to 45. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant to us, sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with with I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. God add wisdom to the reading of the word. Amen. Let us pray. In the silence of the stars, quiet of the hills, heaving of the sea, you speak to us, O Lord. In the words of the prophets, The message of the apostles, you speak, O Lord. And now we pray, speak in this place. In the calming of our minds, the longing of our hearts, by the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts, speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. In the name of Jesus, amen. I've known a number of you for many years, having moved to Utah back in 1990. And as Dennis uh, said in his introduction, I retired as pastor of Murray Baptist Church several months ago, April actually. And at that time, on April 15th, I remember, auspicious day I guess, I gave what I thought was my last sermon. In fact, I titled it, My Last Sermon. And then this week, I think it was Tuesday or so, I got a call from Curtis saying that their plan A had fallen through and would I help out and speak this morning. I find it hard to say no, even though I had fully intended never to preach again. And actually, I'm not going to preach today. I'm just going to tell a couple of stories. I really didn't have enough time to sit down and exegete the scripture and put together some hopefully wise thoughts. 
So I'm just going to tell you a few stories today, if that's okay. Probably should have got some popcorn or something for you to snack on while we go through some stories, but I wasn't thinking that far ahead. And I also just noticed something. Every church I have ever pastored, well, actually, I've only pastored three churches, but they always had a clock right at the back of the sanctuary that only the pastor could see, or or the choir if they were sitting up front. I see you folks don't care how long I preach. (laughs) But I'm going to try to be honoring that. If nothing else... My wife and I and our granddaughters are going down to the opera, and I have to finish in enough time so we can get over there after the service this afternoon. Well, at any rate, the first story I'd like to tell you is about a bird, a bird by the name of Clarence. Clarence was always very particular, even when he was just a little fledgling bird, uh, just out of the nest. Uh, He happened to have been born with an especially bright and and large and and beautifully radiant white bib, uh, which he probably wouldn't have noticed if it weren't for the large snowy owl who uh, kept a kind of a a eagle eye or weather eye or maybe owl eye would be a better term on all of the uh, young birds. And if he one day hadn't remarked to Clarence's uh, mother, Oh my, what a beautiful bib. You'll have some trouble keeping that clean with a young chick like that. Why, he'll soon be getting into mischief and it won't be white for very long. Well, from that day, Clarence had vowed never to get into mischief. And to make sure his beautiful white bib stayed as white and special as it was from the very first minute. He wanted to be the only tree creeper who stayed as pure white as the owl himself. And as a result, he was exceptionally a good little bird. And he often taunted his brothers and sisters uh, for being so... uh, Uh, Excuse me, he was often taunted by his uh, brothers and sisters for being so self-righteous. Well, it was quite difficult for Clarence, uh, since unlike owls, uh, tree creepers kind of creep around the trees, uh, uh, whether they want to or not. Now, owls, you know, they kind of merely perch on a a branch and they're turning their heads at odd angles uh, uh, in order to survey all the world around them. And therefore, their snowy white feathers, uh, uh, they remain clean. The tree creepers, on the other hand, are are much closer to the bark of the trees, uh, hanging on with their tiny little claws as they uh, go pecking uh, around the bark with uh, with their beaks, which means that their white bibs are often very close to rough and dirty tree bark. Well, Clarence was so determined to keep his bib white and beautiful that he decided never to creep around the trunk of the tree. Nope, he wasn't going to do that. Instead, he'd flutter gently up to the branches and perch just like the snowy owls. But try as he would, again and again, Clarence found himself clinging to the tree trunks and creeping around them, pecking at the bark just like all of his brothers and sisters. 
He didn't know why he acted in this way, and he didn't want to act in such a way, but he just couldn't help himself. Well, Clarence became a very unhappy tree creeper. He wanted so much to do what he thought was right, but he just couldn't. He became very dejected and sad, and after a while, he hardly went out at all. But when the snowy owl next came to visit, poor little Clarence tried to hide away. He was so ashamed of himself. The owl spotted him, and he hooted. Clarence cringed. He knew exactly what the owl would say. But to his surprise, he heard the owl admiring his radiant white breast. It can't be, muttered Clarence to his mother. I I must be filthy after all of that creeping around trees. My white bib is surely gray and grimy by now. But his mother just laughed. She said, oh, you're a tree creeper, silly. No one can change that. And you can't go against your own nature. But the trees won't make you dirty. They protect you and enable you to feed and keep strong. And the healthier you are, the wider your bib will remain. That's the way God made you. And he made you into a beautiful tree creeper. So think it's now time for you to put away all those silly ideas. Put them behind you and and thank God for the way you are. And so Clarence did just that. He gave up trying to change himself and instead put himself into God's hands. And he soon discovered that not only did he always have a beautiful white bib, but also he was the happiest tree creeper that ever was. Clarence saw the world through his eyes and he he wanted to have the world's best white bib. He wanted to be proud of himself for the sacrifice he could make to keep his bib white. But inside of Clarence was God's nature. That, and that nature saw that Clarence would be a creeper, getting close to the trunks of trees, and getting himself dirty. But when he did that, he became healthy and his bib became even wider. James and John, in our scripture lesson that uh, was read to us a few minutes ago earlier in the service, were a lot like Clarence. They wanted something for themselves. They wanted power. They, they wanted honor. They, they wanted to be you know, set apart. They wanted to sit on the right hand, the left hand of Jesus. They wanted to be in power when Jesus came into his glory. And so Jesus asked them if they're able to drink the cup that he uh, has to drink. And they, he says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they answered that they are. We are able, they said. And then Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. 
and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But did James and John really know what they were getting themselves into? Jesus is foreshadowing his death on the cross and and predicting that these two, James and, and, and John, will, will die for their faith. James was, in fact, murdered by Herod Agrippa. Acts 12.12 tells us that he was killed with the sword rather than crucified. Now, we really don't know what happened to John. James and John saw God's kingdom through human eyes. They saw that Jesus did have power and authority and greatness, and they wanted to be a part of it. They, they, they wanted glory. But Jesus says his kingdom is different than what's seen through human eyes. He says, but, whatever, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man also came not to be saved, excuse me, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus turns his disciples' eyes from the eyes of the world to the eyes of God. Jesus sees things differently in his kingdom. He sees service and and uh, helping others and sacrifice uh, rather than power and might and glory. Jesus sees his kingdom as one of the cross, not glory, but servanthood. Jesus sees his kingdom through God's eyes. And those eyes see people in God's kingdom helping and sacrificing and, and serving others. James and John saw God's kingdom through the eyes of human beings, and they saw power and uh, uh, majesty and glory and, and, and wealth. Jesus sees the kingdom of God with different eyes. He sees sacrifice and giving and commitment and servitude. There's a story that was told by the famous philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, who uh, goes, the story goes something like this. It seems that once upon a time, there was a fire in a small town. Fire uh, brigade rushed to the scene, but the firemen were unable to get through to the burning building. The problem was that there was a crowd of people there who had gathered not to watch, but to help put out the fire. And they all knew the fire chief well. Their, their children had... Uh, climbed over his fire engines during excursions to the fire stations and, and the friendliness of the fire chief, it, it was legendary. And so when a fire broke out, the people rushed out to help their beloved fire chief. Unfortunately, the townsfolk uh, were seeking to extinguish the raising infernal with water pistols. They'd all stand around and from time to time, you know, squirting their uh, pistols into the fire while making casual conversation. The fire chief, he couldn't constrain himself. He, he started screaming at the town folk, What do you think you're doing? What on earth do you think you're going to achieve with those water pistols? 
Well, the people uh, sensed the urgency of the situation, and now they wanted to really help the fire chief, so they started squirting more. Come on, they encouraged each other. We can all do better, can't we? Squirt, 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 squirt. And exasperated, the fire chief yells again, Get out of here. You're, you're achieving nothing except hindering us from doing what we're, needs to be done. We need firemen who are ready to give everything they've got to put out this fire. People willing even to lay down their lives and put them on the line. This isn't the place for token contributions. And you know, Jesus says that the kingdom of God isn't squirt, 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 squirt. But it's those who are willing to lay down their lives for another. Jesus says that the kingdom of God isn't squirt, 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 but it's, it's those who are willing to, to sacrifice for others, to, to give for others. Jesus says the kingdom of God isn't squirt, 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 but it's rather seeing the world through God's eyes, not humans. How do you see God's kingdom? Are you looking at this world through human eyes or God's eyes? Do you see the world as Clarence did and, you know, want to play it safe? Do you see the world as those people with squirt guns only giving, you know, kind of a partial commitment to God? Do you squirt, squirt, squirt? Or do you come with a hose, a lot of water, with whose eyes do you see the kingdom of God? There's a good story that's made the rounds on the internet. Those of you who have email probably have, have had it sent to you at least once, if not a whole bunch of times. But for those of you who haven't heard it yet, I'd like to share with you a story I think illustrates very well seeing the world through God's eyes. In Brooklyn, New York, uh, Cush is a school that caters to learning disabled children. At a Cush uh, fundraising dinner, the father of a Cush child delivered a speech that would uh, never be forgotten by those who attended. After extolling the school and its uh, dedicated staff, he cried out, Where is the perfection in my son Shea? Everything that God does is done with perfection, but my child can't understand things as other children do. My child can't remember facts and figures as other children do. Where is God's perfection? The audience was shocked by that question, pained by the father's anguish and instilled by his piercing query. I believe the father continued that when God brings a child into the, like this into the world, the perfection that he seeks is in the way that people react to that child. And then he told the following story about his son, Shea. Uh, Shea attends Cush uh, throughout the week and regular Torah school on Sundays. One Sunday afternoon, Shea and his father uh, came to Torah school as his classmates were playing baseball. The game was in progress, and as Shea and his father made their way towards the ball field, Shea said, Do you think you could get me into the game? 
Well, Shea's father knew his son wasn't at all athletic and that most boys, uh, yeah, they wouldn't want him on their team. But Shea's father understood that if his son was chosen in, it would have given him a, a comfortable sense of belonging. And so Shea's father approached one of the boys on the field and asked, Hey, you think Shea can get into the game? The boy kind of looked around for guidance from his uh, teammates and getting none. He took matters into his own hands and said, Well, hey, you know, we're losing by six runs. Uh, game is already in the eighth inning. I guess he could be on our team. Uh, we'll, we'll even try to get him into bat on the in the ninth inning. Well, Shea's father was ecstatic as Shea smiled broadly. and Shea was told, you know, put on a glove and, and go out to play in uh, short center field, a position that exists only in softball. And there was no protest from the opposing team, uh, which would now be hitting with an extra man on the field. Well, in the bottom of the eighth inning, Shea's team scored a few runs but they were still behind by three. In the bottom of the ninth inning, Shea's team scored again, and now with two outs and the bases loaded and the potential winning runs on base, Shea was scheduled to be up. Well, the question was, would the team actually let Shea bat at this juncture and give away any chance to win the game? Well, surprisingly, Shea was told to take a bat and try to get a hit. Everybody, of course, knew that it would be impossible uh, because Shea didn't even know how, how to hold the bat properly, even which end to hold. Wasn't much chance he's going to get a hit. However, as Shea stepped up to the plate, uh, the pitcher moved in a few steps so that he could you know, just kind of lob the ball in softly so that Shea would at least be able to make contact. Well, the first pitch came in, and uh, Shea swung clumsily and missed. And then one of Shea's uh, teammates came up to Shea, and together they held the bat. And uh, the pitcher moved in a few more steps uh, so that uh, he could, uh, you know, just very gently tossed the ball to Shea. So the next pitch came in. Shea and his teammate swung the bat as together they hit a slow ground ball to the pitcher. Well, the pitcher picked up the ball and uh, he could have easily thrown the ball to to first baseman and Shea would have been out and that would have ended the game. But instead, the pitcher took the ball and he threw it way high on an arc out into right field, uh, far and wide uh, where the first baseman uh, could reach it. And everybody started yelling, Shea, run to first, Shea, run to first. Never in his life had Shea run to first. Well, he scampered down the baseline wide-eyed and startled, and by the time he reached first base, the right fielder uh, then had the ball. And he could have thrown the ball to the second baseman who would tag out Shea, who was still running. But the right fielder understood what the pitcher had done and what, what his intentions were. And so he threw the ball high and far and wide over the third baseman's head as everyone yelled, Shea, run to second, Shea, run to second. 
Dea ran towards second base as the runners ahead of him deliriously circled the bases towards home. And as Shea reached second base, the opposing shortstop uh, ran towards him and, and turned him towards uh, uh, the direction of third base and shouted, Shea, run to third. And as Shea rounded third, the boys from both teams ran behind him screaming, Shea, run home, Shea, run home. Shea ran home. And he stepped on the home plate. And all 18 boys lifted him up on their shoulders and made him the hero as he had just hit the grand slam and won the game for his team. That day, said the father, who had now had you know tears just rolling down in his face, those 18 boys reached their level of perfection. They showed that it's not only those who are talented that should be recognized, but also those who have less talent. They too are human beings. They too have feelings and emotions. They too are people. They too want to feel important. Can you see the world in the same way? I think I got time for one more story. You get out of 12, right? Yeah, I think I can get it done in five minutes. June Sugihara was a Japanese diplomat in Lithuania when the German army took over and began rounding up Jews for extermination. Despite orders to the contrary, uh, he hand-wrote more than 2,000 travel visas in a five-week period that allowed 6,000 people to escape. His hands got cramped up as he uh, tried to write those travel visas by hand, and, and his wife would massage them, and then he'd go back to writing some more, handing out the last ones from a train window as he was... Uh, departing, And after the war, he had to live in exile in Japan because he had fallen out of favor uh, uh, with, its, uh, with the in-group who ran the country. More recently, he has been honored here and there, while those who ordered him to stop are now seen for having done a, a, a great and, and shameful evil. It was an evil in which our own nation participated by uh, closing our borders to Jewish refugees. And some of you are thinking, well, perhaps that's just history. So think of the present. Right now, our leaders are working to close our borders to refugees just like they did back in 1940. Civil war in Syria and violence in Central America has thousands fleeing. I'm sure you've heard on the news, like I have, about the caravan that is coming north. We pray for these kinds of people frequently. But if our prayers mean anything, they must mean that we won't accept our leaders' appeals to fear. That we'll understand our vocation, our call is to follow Jesus in ransoming them. 
There is no Christian ethic that can endorse caging children. There is no command of Christ that authorizes the American concentration camps in Texas. And our call is to set free the imprisoned. Our vocation, our calling is service. And Jesus sees his kingdom as one of the cross, not glory, not servitude, not exclusion. Jesus sees his kingdom through God's eyes, and those eyes see people in God's kingdom as helping, sacrificing, serving others, treating them as brothers and sisters. Are you looking at this world through human eyes or through God's eyes? Amen. Amen.